Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Kuiper Collective podcast. Uh, we've taken a little bit of a break, but we are back, ready for a new semester and ready to uh, dig into some more things together. So uh, with me today, uh, I'm Dr. Branson Parler. I teach uh, in theological studies and a whole mix of other subjects at Kuiper. That's a pretty <laughs> broad umbrella. And with me today is uh, Dr. Jeff Fisher, uh, who is also a professor of theological studies, mm -hmm. pretty broad mix. And uh, we're gonna we're gonna dig into uh, thinking about the Holy Spirit and reflecting on uh, what is often maybe a neglected part of our mm -hmm. of our teaching, neglected part of our practice. Uh, but before we get to the Holy Spirit, uh, I, I want to put it out there because over over break we both had the chance to see Star Wars, the the, the new, the Rise of Skywalker, mm -hmm. uh, and so. That's kind of our easy entry point into discussion today. So what did, what did you think of the movie? Did you like it, not like it? Uh, yeah. What did you take away? So I've seen it a couple times now. We went twice over the break. Um, I really enjoyed it as a story, as entertainment. Um, but in the narrative, the larger narrative of Star Wars, I think there are some flaws and some problems with it. Um, I don't want to say too much because I don't want to spoil too much for any of our listeners, though. If you've been on the Internet, um, you probably know who Ray is and who her parent grandparents are and all of that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, I, I, I've actually also been watching the Mandalorian. Okay. Um, oh yeah. Which with my kids, we would all say is significantly better than the rise of Skywalker. Um, it's just a really well told story, um, that fits in, in the, in the bigger narrative of well, as well. Um, yeah. And the character development, those kind of things I really appreciated for the Mandalorian. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting because I've I, I've watched a few episodes of that. I think maybe four or five in, and part of what's striking to me is that just the pacing is yeah. so different. You know, going to the movie uh, The Rise of Skywalker is just this sort of frenetic. It is uh, activity that just it doesn't stop. It doesn't give you even time to kind of think or process. Maybe right. that's part of the point. I, I think don't know because because th there's definitely pieces where you're like, if I pause and think about this, what just happened now. 30 minutes ago doesn't make sense anymore. Yeah. So like the, the planet gets, that gets destroyed, for example. Um, that's a bit problematic with it, within the story itself. And it is just this frenetic pace of scene after scene after scene, which is what makes it fun because the action scenes of course are great. Um, but story-wise it's a bit problematic. I don't think they mapped things out all that well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, I guess that's part of the difficulty of trying to tell one story over several decades right. with a variety of writers right. and uh, producers, directors, others in the mix. Yeah. It gets a little tricky. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I thought, like you said, it's, uh, it kind of, it is what it is. Yeah. Uh, it helped tie things together. I think for some people, right. for other diehard fans, it, nothing about the, the last three movies have been that satisfying. Yeah. Uh, but well, it's going that direction. I would have liked to see a little bit, I feel like uh, episode eight, really, The Last Jedi really kind of said, oh, you know, this is more complex right. than this story that we all kind of love about good and evil, and it's all just crystal clear, and there are good guys and bad guys. It, it tried to, I think, introduce this notion of complexity that the last one just kind of threw away. Yeah, went, went, right. said, no, we're right. not going right. to wrestle with that at all. Yeah. I loved the final scene of Last Jedi where the little boy reaches out his hand and the broom pops into him and he clearly has some kind of force ability carrying on that narrative of anyone could have the force, 
But then Rise of Skywalker, it's nope, we're back to it's Skywalkers and Palpatines. Yeah. And, you know, trained Jedi special people that are are force capable. And so that that was a bit of a disappointment of like you had such a opportunity to really develop this idea that of course they're promoting at Disney World, Disneyland, of anyone can be a Jedi, anyone can have the force. But in the movies themselves, it's like, no, there's these special families that are force capable and so that was probably my overall biggest disappointment with the rise of Skywalker. Yeah. It didn't theologically, it wasn't priesthood of all believers. Right. It didn't, it didn't right. really get into yeah. that. It was, it yeah. was again, this uh, kind of two tiered system yes. of the haves and have nots. Yeah. And, yeah. I mean, and even tying it back to the Bible as well, like this overarching story that we see in scripture and how there's these pieces and yes, sometimes it seems like something might be out of place, but then when you look at the thing as a whole, it's like, this does really make sense and it fits together. And obviously God knows how to, how to tell a story better than J.J. Abrams <laughs> yeah. or George Lucas combined. Um, but that you like that's just, I, I guess, yeah, something that I, I felt was really missing from the, the, the conclusion of the Star Wars saga with Skywalkers and all that. Yeah. Yeah. That's an interesting point because even watching it, it makes, so it, it made me reflect on the way that you have the Bible, yeah. this book that is written over just generation time span yeah. with, with very Lots different authors, authors yeah. coming from all different perspectives. Uh, and I would say the, the more that I study scripture, you know, the, Part of the compelling, uh, what makes scripture compelling is actually its beauty, the way yeah. that it hangs together as right. a story, the way that the, these images and and words and concepts all uh, overlay each other and work together. And so I think that, for me, it just emphasizes, that maybe this is a good transition point, <laughs> you know, the role of the Holy Spirit, yeah. which we often think about or, or maybe don't think about in terms of giving a scripture um, that is amazing to have that level of, of continuity. And it's not, and part of what makes it amazing is it's not people who just sound like they're copying each other. Right. It's not just like rote repetition. Right. But it is this, this complex and layered yeah. thing going on. It's not yeah. as simple as like, oh, they blew up a death star. Another here, death so. star. Right. Oh, now we're going to call it star killer. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And so there's that, to me, that piece of it is really... It's really interesting, really helpful, and I th- I right. think theologians often underplay the role of beauty, yeah, uh, in uh, explaining why is it that scripture is compelling? How does the spirit work? That part of how the spirit works is through this beauty, which is kind of a counterintuitive beauty. Uh, you know, Augustine thought scripture was pretty rudimentary yeah. in some ways, uh, but that once you understand it and know it, and you, you start to see it really for what it is, there's this level of both diversity and unity that's right. pretty amazing it is yeah yeah i mean and that's like you noted that one of the key roles of the holy spirit is inspiring those authors to write these things and organizing the whole thing together and then as we read it today the spirit still does the work to make it so that we we hear god's words themselves and bring those things to light to us so yeah yeah, it's a good. It's a good point of connection. And by the way, if you want to uh, grow in your own ability to start with Star Wars and, <laughs> and end with the theology of the Holy Spirit, uh, check us out at Kuiper College, www.kuiper.edu. Yeah. Uh, this is this is what we do. This is fun. This is good stuff. Um, so let's think a little bit about our theology of the Holy Spirit. I know you're teaching uh, a course on that this semester. 
what are some of the, maybe, why do we need a course on this when yeah. we think about the Holy Spirit? What, what's, what's sort of the entry point for thinking about maybe why we're not as educated as we should be, why we do need to really spend some time digging into understanding the Holy Spirit? Yeah. I mean, an initial answer to why we need a course on the Holy Spirit is because in our regular doctrine courses, and this is not only true at Kuiper, this is true at most seminaries, the Holy Spirit is not its own topic. So we have stuff on creation, we have stuff on the Trinity, we have stuff on Christology, on who Jesus is, the work that he's done, we have stuff on salvation, we have stuff on the end times, but we don't really take a dedicated look at the Holy Spirit, who he is, what he does. Um, Some of that is related to the Holy Spirit is threaded throughout scripture and is kind of the the silent partner in the Trinity who's doing all this work behind the scenes. and gets credit once in a while, but really does not draw attention to himself. Um, and so that's one of the things that a course like this is doing. I mean, also why we need it today is because there's a lot of questions about what kinds of things the Spirit does, what kinds of work he continues to do, um, spiritual gifts, whether they're all existent for today, whether there's some that are not, what is baptism of the Holy Spirit. I've got a whole slew of questions um, from our textbooks and other things of like questions that people ask about the Holy Spirit because there is a level of unfamiliarity with what he does and who he is. And sometimes even misunderstanding him as kind of like the force in Star Wars yeah. to bring us back to yeah. our initial yeah. conversation. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Very much a, a kind of impersonal force right. or just you know, we're not quite sure. Uh, even to, to, to talk about the Holy Spirit in personal languages, right. you know, language like he, he, yeah. uh, not rather, it. Yeah. And so I think that's, that's tricky. It also strikes me that a lot of times, like you said, the Holy Spirit is, uh, a silent partner or, or we don't understand. We haven't maybe right. explained or understood ourselves, uh, how the Holy Spirit is woven through all of the Christian life. And so I remember uh, a couple of years ago after, you know, our church recites the Apostles' Creed. Yeah. And so, you know, somebody asked, you know, we say we believe in the Holy Spirit. And then we're done. And then we're done. We don't really say anything. But I said, well, Actually. what you need to understand, well, you tell, what do I, somebody comes up to you and says, well, you say you believe in the Holy Spirit and then you just move on. What's the what's the response? Right. To that? I mean, actually, it's the whole rest of the Apostles' Creed that is what the Holy Spirit is doing. So, I mean, you've got the the life everlasting in the church and all of those things that are connected to the continuing work of the Holy Spirit. So, I mean, the whole Apostles' Creed is really a Trinitarian framework. Um, you don't get this explicit thing like you have with I believe in Jesus Christ and His life, death, all of that. Um, but then, yeah, the Holy Spirit continues that work throughout the rest of what the Apostles' Creed is describing. Yeah, and I think to me that's really powerful because it says there isn't, when we think about things like forgiveness of sins, communion of saints, resurrection of the body, life everlasting, that all of these things are work of of the Holy Spirit. I I think, or I wonder, if you ask the average person in church, like, well, let's say Jesus died and rose again, but there was no Holy Spirit, could you be saved? Hmm. I I think most people would probably say, well, yeah, I just believe in Jesus. Right. Which then leads to, but you can't without the work of the Holy Spirit. I mean, the Spirit's 
completely necessary in making us. I mean, we opened our class with this yesterday in John 3 to make us born again. You have to be born of the Spirit and that this is the Spirit's work to make it so that we will and can believe in Jesus and his death and resurrection. Yeah. Yeah. To me, that's, again, that's powerful because it says it's not just when we think about the, the personal application of what Christ did to me. Yeah. It's the Spirit Who's who is affecting that, that right. work. It's not just, oh, I'm believing this news about somebody. Because again, the cognitive piece right. or the, the heart piece even, I would not I would not do that apart from the Spirit's work. Yeah. And so we really, I think in that way, it, it's it's almost so basic, it's so foundational <laughs> that we just, that we miss it. Right. Um, yeah. Even though it's it's there. And so I think even something like that, being able to say, here's this thing that, that maybe we know or that we repeat a lot, and actually, these lines are connected, connected yeah. uh, that, yeah. that, that that goes a long way um, uh, toward moving us, moving us further that direction. So what are when you when you teach this class, what, what are some of your favorite topics to engage or what do you think are are? I don't know if it's favorite or what do you think is right. most misunderstood or most right. necessary? You know, you, you threw out. A few I don't know that I really have any not favorite ones. I mean, I love teaching this class. You know, it's it's a great integration of systematic theology biblical theology, practical theology. Um, you know, w- we're starting off talking about the spirit hovering over the waters at creation. What does the spirit do in the act of creation? Um, what's his role? In, I mean, you mentioned beauty of scripture, but beautifying all of creation. Hmm. Um, the spirit's role in in the tabernacle and in empowering the, the people with gifts to build things and make things beautiful. Um, and so walking through the entire Old Testament and helping students see uh, the the work of the spirit in creation in empowering leaders and empowering artists and craftsmen um, often we know the story of judges that people are empowered to go do things that are you know supernatural like super strength and all of that kind of stuff um, and then ans- asking questions of like how is what happens in the Old Testament different than what happens in the New Testament and where's the hinge well it's on the spirit anointed one the Messiah who the Spirit comes upon at baptism, and so how Jesus is pivotal in in taking forward what is done in the Old Testament with leaders like Moses and others to what is in the Gospels on himself and then in Acts and beyond in the New Testament for us today, and seeing that that same Spirit that empowered Jesus empowers us and with a massive shift there indwells us as well. And so, I mean, connected to the question about believing in Jesus, the whole Romans 8 stuff where the Spirit is uniting us to Christ so that what is Christ's is ours. I also love showing students that, that we actually get what is Christ's. And we have, you know, not just a future eternity with the Father, but the the ability and the powers to do those kind of things. I mean, as Jesus himself said, more than um, greater things than he has even done. Yeah. So when you when you think about that, I want to pick up on a little bit of something that you said that this and to think a little bit about the shift with that that happens with, uh, you know, the work of the spirit, say, from Old to New Testament and thinking about some of those distinctions. um, What what is what what's different? What is it that that changes? You've alluded to that a little bit. But how is the work of the spirit in the in the New Testament different from the work of the spirit in the old? Yeah. So there's a lot of debate on this. Theologians differ a lot um, on whether 
people in the Old Testament were regenerated, born again by the Spirit when they believed, um, and whether or not they were indwelled by the Spirit in a parallel way that we read in the New Testament that people who believe in Jesus are indwelled by the Spirit. Um, what I, The way I walk through this is that the big difference is that Jesus is the one on whom the Spirit comes without measure, and with his ascension, then at Pentecost, he pours out that Spirit who he has now in the fullness of measure and pours it out onto his people so that they are now, the big shift is, they are not just empowered with the Spirit, but also indwelled by the Spirit. Mm. And this is the language that the Apostle Paul uses, um, so that that indwelling, the regenerating work of the Spirit, makes it so that we will and can believe in Jesus. And then that indwelling of the Spirit unites us to Christ and enables us to live obedient lives of increasing holiness. Which in the Old Testament, you see examples of people like King Saul, who the Spirit was upon him, he prophesied, but then we actually have this language that the Spirit left him. Um, and, you see, and you see examples of that in like the book of Judges as well, that there is, there's definitely something unique and different about what happens after Jesus reenacts, relives Israel, undoes what Adam did, undoes what Israel did, and then has the Spirit to pour out onto his people and those who will be connected to him by faith. Yeah, and that that language even makes me think of uh, sort of the overarching temple theology right. and the way that this is linked to Jesus, as you said in, in John, uh, saying he is right. the temple. Right. And now, the way the rest of the New Testament picks up on this, we are his yeah. temple. Yeah. And I think, I mean, again, this is one of those things I think we maybe hear or know, but if we if you actually stop and think about what Scripture is teaching— that we have to understand like how mind blowing this actually right. is if, right. if we're to absorb this. So I think about like in, in first Corinthians six, where Paul is talking about something that seems maybe not, not as directly related, but, but he says the body is not made for sexual immorality. Right. But then, and you know, so at least I think if we stopped and thought about it, we'd expect him to say, Oh, but the body's for sexual morality. Right. Uh, but he says the body is for the Lord. And, as he unpacks that, it's this amazing teaching that your body is actually the temple of yeah. the eternal God. And so this isn't just like, you know, get your act together, be good, right? Don't don't sin sexually because, you know, we're supposed to follow the rules. There's this totally different picture of what are our bodies even for? Oh, yeah. And they are this dwelling place yeah. of the Holy Spirit of the eternal yeah. living God and this is sort of the connecting point of this God with the rest of the world that needs to know yeah. and, and see. And to me, it's, man, I, I struggle to, uh, how do we try to find ways, not only to explain to people who don't believe, but maybe to people who've heard this all their right, lives. Right, And who's like, oh, right. yeah, well, I know what that says. Yeah. If we stop and really trace these things out, it's like, this is huge. Yeah. I mean, you know, it, really in that text, it's this theme of belonging is who do you belong to? Who is your master who who rules over you? And really, I mean, for, in this context, you belong to the Lord. You belong to the Spirit who unites you to the Lord. And we've actually had that in the Reformed tradition for a long time. Question and answer number one of the yeah. Heidelberg Catechism. Yeah. What is your only comfort in life and in death that I'm not my own, but belong, body and soul, in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ? Like, we have that theme. And like you said, even for those of us who've heard it over and over and over again, 
maybe it's become too familiar and we need some of this like reawakening, reawareness of this is incredible that God himself puts his presence inside of us like he did in the temple and like he did in the tabernacle in all of us. And, the, and now he does in the, in the church as well, that that is the work of the spirit. Yeah, that's good. That's exciting stuff. Making me want to come and take the course <laughs> too. sit in and, and enjoy, enjoy the discussion. Uh, well, this, this has been really good. Uh, I appreciate your willingness to, to sit down and chat about these things for a few minutes. Maybe just for folks who might be interested in, in pursuing this more uh, on their own, are there uh, a couple books or resources that you might recommend as, yeah. as good places to start? Yeah. So the, the main textbook that I'm using for a class is Graham Cole's He Who Gives Life, um, which what I really like about that is that it's, it's kind of a biblical theology that then incorporates systematic theology along the way. Um, so it walks from the Old Testament through the New Testament. Um, it's not a long book. It's, it's, it's accessible reading. Um, and that's kind of the, the big picture Holy Spirit stuff. Um, the other one that I'm using that I would recommend is Sam Storm's The Beginner's Guide to Spiritual Gifts, um, which for those who are interested in some of perhaps the more controversial questions about the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit, he does a really nice job of setting up the context of what scripture teaches on it, some of the historical conversations about it, and then practical applications of it. Um, and so we actually use that, that book in our spiritual formation course as well here. Um, so that's, that's a resource that I would, I would really recommend uh, as anyone interested in looking more at the spiritual gifts. Nice. Well, that sounds like uh, maybe we'll have to have you back on in a couple right. of weeks here and to dig into some more of the, more of the controversial when we get When we get to that in class. I'll, That's right. Yeah, yeah it sounds, it's kind of, kind of a that. cliffhanger because now yeah. I want to ask more questions. Right. But, uh, well, Jeff, thanks again for being with us today. I uh, hope you've enjoyed this, this time, and we look forward to chatting with you soon in the future. Thanks.